0: Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Shop Wild Rose Farmer. My online store is filled with some great graphic t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and more. Did you know that when you purchase from Shop Wild Rose Farmer, you directly support sharing the stories of women in agriculture through the Royal Woman Podcast? It's true. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com shop to buy yourself something nice. And make sure you sign up for my email list and receive a special promo code sent right to your inbox. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Scarlett Salamone. A chronically ill former inner city special education teacher gone calf loving goat toting chicken chasing duck herding sheep shearing dairy farmer. Scarlett grew up on the heels of her dad and uncles on her grandparents' livestock farm in Illinois, hoping that there would be a runt animal that she could raise. Her peace as a biracial kid in a less than welcoming world was found in the barns. Putting meat on the table for her family was the bonus. Scarlett's farm Loveland Acres is located in southern Wisconsin and is a community-focused farm committed to utilizing the diversity in plants, animals, and humans to do our part in ensuring the land is stewarded well. All children have a place to learn in the fields and everyone has a seat at the table to celebrate the hard work put in. I am very excited for you guys to meet my dear friend Scarlett. She is amazing amazing. I say that to about every single woman that I interview on this podcast, but honestly, Scarlett is super amazing. <laughs> and if you guys didn't catch the other amazing woman that I interviewed that came out on Tuesday, yes, Tuesday, Julia Wells' episode came out on Tuesday. So make sure that you guys head back and listen to Julia as well, the special bonus episode that came out this week, which reminds me, if you're not subscribed, Hit that subscribe button, so when a brand new episode drops, even if it is on a Tuesday, you get it sent straight to your listening device. Okay, enough with my rambling of all of the amazing women. Let's get to this week's listener review. This week's review comes from Tiffany from Houston, Texas via Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review is titled, You'll Have Some Kind of Farm If You Don't Already After Listening. I've been listening to an episode each morning on my way to work and have been learning so much from women farmers around Canada and here in the US. I don't have a farming background, but I'm passionate about eating more local and growing some for myself. We recently bought a house on 1.3 acres, and I have to say, I really want to start a micro flower farm now. Thank you for inspiring and educating women around the world. Tiffany, I am so excited for your upcoming flower farm. I want to see it. Show it to me over on the Instagram. (laughs) That's so exciting. And thank you so much for listening on your way to work of the Rural Woman Podcast. I really appreciate it. And if you guys are enjoying the show and want to leave a kind rating and review wherever you listen to the Rural Woman Podcast, I encourage you to do it. And you can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Now, I have some big news to share with you guys. So I'm going to leave that to the end of the episode. So make sure you stay tuned to that. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Scarlett. Good morning, Scarlett. How are you?
1: I'm good, Caitlin. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I'm very excited to chat with you. Thank
1: you for having me. I'm very excited as well. So for my
0: listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a brief description of who you are and where you're from.
1: I am Scarlett and I live in Elkhorn, Wisconsin on a small dairy farm. We are a farm that does dairy a little different due to the fact that we aren't able to sell fluid milk or do any of the kind of larger dairy operation things, and so we're a small dairy farm doing it a little differently. We're focused on bringing young people and children to our farm in order to experience a working farm, particularly youth from the city, um, to give them that experience and opportunity in agriculture, to connect with animals, to connect with the land, and to kind of see how everything can work together.
0: That's amazing. I am so excited to dig into all of this with you. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you got your start in
1: agriculture. My start began when I was little. I grew up on my grandparents' farms at the heels of my dad. And my uncles, I was always kind of chasing them around. My grandparents and that side of my family were livestock farmers, primarily pig farmers. And then that kind of spun off from there and grew to sheep and goats and poultry. And so just kind of a conglomerate of livestock farms coming together. I was always looking forward to the runts or the weaklings. They would get passed off me to be raised. And I learned young that I was raising them for the family's table when I was old enough to kind of finally make the connection that each year, you know, one set of animals that I was raising would disappear and I would get new ones. (laughs) And so I asked my dad and he explained to me that they were, you know, what we were eating for holiday meals and such. And I was okay with that and, and went about raising my animals with the best care and love I could. The barns were my piece. I couldn't get enough of being on the farm, being dirty, and hanging out with the animals, sitting amongst the hay, running around barefoot because, you know, I found out young as well that the world wasn't a very kind place. I was a mixed race child coming up in a time when that was still a very touchy subject. I wasn't really treated as a mixed-race child. I was treated as a black child, and that's what I mostly identified with growing up and just kind of tried to navigate that as I grew up in a white family being adopted And my peaceful spot was the farm amongst chaos and racism and trying to figure that out as a young child. And so from there, it just kind of spun to really wanting to be on a farm as I grew older. And unfortunately, the farms kind of shrank in size as suburbs took over and they dissipated after, you know, some time I think I was around 10, 12 years old, that stretch of age. So my time stopped on the farms, but my heart never really lost that desire to be a part of a farm. But that's where I kind of got my start and my love for livestock in particular.
0: That is a great story. And I love that you say that you ran around barefoot as a child on a farm, (laughs) because I think that's how most children grew up on a farm, or at least that's what I see now. I did not grow up on a farm. So for me to think of running around barefoot here, I would think that would be crazy. But (laughs) as a child, I think
1: it sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. As a kid, you just don't care.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So Scarlett, as a kid, what do you think were some of like the biggest learning moments that you had on the farm? You mentioned that your dad told you that the dinner that you were eating were the animals that you raised. But what do you think were some of the other big learning moments that you had?
1: I think probably the biggest aha learning moment that I took away was just to be a kind and caring person to show up for something every day, do it to the best of your ability that no matter what the outcome was, no matter what the animal was, whether they were weak, healthy, had a great outlook or, you know, possibly weren't going to make it through the night to just show up and love and care for what it was that I was doing to the best of my ability. So, I think I just learned a heap load of compassion. I learned empathy, care, to take care of something beyond myself, to give of myself. I think that's probably why I'm like a mushy, caring, caring, servant kind of person. I learned that that's what made me happy as well. And that's what fulfilled me and kind of you know put my tank to full. So it came full circle, learning how to just, tend to something else, uh, figuring out what the best things were to make sure that another being, critter, would survive.
0: Absolutely. And I think those are such important lessons for children in agriculture and beyond to learn because those are life skills as a human adult that I think we should all possess. So Absolutely. So what do you think Made you want to pursue to be a dairy farmer? As a kid, did you want to get into dairy?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> we took a lot of trips back and forth to Wisconsin. So I grew up in Illinois and we took a lot of trips back and forth to Wisconsin. We camped, we came for day trips. Eventually, my adoptive parents purchased a house and land up north and so we spent our summers here and driving back and forth you know I would look at all the cows (laughs) and all the dairy farms out of the window and the one thing that I was not around growing up were cows and calves and I loved them (laughs) and I really wanted a cow and my dad would always just Say no, <laughs> and so I think it was that I fell in love with Wisconsin cheese curds. Not gonna lie, and so I think it was just I would create stories and visions of what was happening on those farms as we would make our drives back and forth, and I kind of longed to do my own thing. And to be amongst these big, brown-eyed, beautiful, you know, animals that I was watching as we drove back and forth. So it was just kind of a daydream. And someday, I never really thought would happen, but it was nice to uh, to think about. Right.
0: You've romanticized dairy farming. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so dreamy to see all of the cute little calves and their moms and all of the things. So I don't blame you for that at all.
1: Absolutely. I was young and naive. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all or weren't we
0: all at one point? (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Sometimes I still feel like I'm young and naive when I think about like romanticizing farming, even though I know how hard farmers work. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, So... Your career path took a little turn before you became the farmer that you are today. Tell us about your teaching career and what made you decide that you wanted to be a teacher and specifically working in special education.
1: So as I kind of went through high school, our time in Wisconsin was increased. And so as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, you know, that was kind of at the forefront between like, you know, college and what else and my what else was, you know, potentially dairy farming and and talking with my parents and trying to figure out next steps and things like that. My dad wasn't pleased with that decision. I was never really given solid reasons why. Uh, I'm sure it could have had a number of reasons behind it, whether it be a female farming being a ridiculously hard path to pursue, dairy being risky in particular. Who knows? But I heeded the advice of my family and, you know, wanted to make my parents proud and happy and all of those kind of things. And so I decided to pursue a college path and take on my other passion, which was working and kind of advocating for special education kids, people, which I had been doing a good majority of my life as well, actually all of my life. I grew up in a house where my sister and I were both adopted, and my sister has very intense special needs. She's nonverbal. She's wheelchair-bound. And basically just depends on other people for all of her care and so growing up alongside of her I watched all the discrimination and all the terrible things that people with disabilities go through as well the lack of access, rude comments, stares, the lack of understanding that there are people with different challenges and different needs and that's okay and as my sister got older and I got older, I became really involved in in her care. It was important to me that she have as, I don't want to say normal, because there is no such thing as a normal life. But it was important to me that she have as typical of a life as other people did. And so I tried to step in. Where my parents may have taken her to events that were for disabled people, and I would be her escort so that at least it was another young person with her. And throughout that, my heart melted to be around all of these amazing people and children. And so it became important to me to become a voice for. If I was going to be a teacher, I wanted to be a voice for those that needed it most. And to me, that's what made sense was to become a special education teacher and advocate for the kids that needed it most and make sure they got what they need wherever I was chosen to serve.
0: That's amazing. And for you to be such an advocate for your sister and with such a kind and giving heart, I'm sure that your students just received the most loving education that they could have?
1: I would hope so. I would like to think that. Any kid that crosses my path, pretty much that, you know, I call them my (laughs) kids. You know, they have their own families. Some of them do and some of them haven't. But pretty much that's the way that I treat any kiddo that crosses my path because, geez, I would hope that, you know, other people would be looking out for my children. The same way, you know, you send your children off into the world to be cared for by other people. And I think the best way to do that is to look at them as your own, because really it's tough. It's tough raising kids if they have challenges, if they don't have challenges. And so the more people that you can have surrounding children, loving them and building them up, I think that's the way it should be. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, Scarlett, tell us how your official career in teaching ended and how you ended up being a calf-loving, goat-toting, chicken-chasing, duck-herding, sheep-and-shearing dairy farmer. Guys, that's her official title. She sent it to me, and I love it.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, that's a lot. So, I had found my spot to teach, my niche to teach in the inner city of Milwaukee, where geez, life is rough for kiddos where I was teaching. So not only was I working with typical and atypical, developing children and young people, they were also facing you know, a lot of socioeconomic struggles and challenges. So I was doing a lot of work, not only in the classroom, making sure that their education that way was taken care of and that their needs were met, which can be challenging sometimes in urban areas to get the resources and the funding that you need to make sure that schools have all of the necessities to help children thrive. And I was also kind of hitting the community on the weekends, and whether that meant bringing kids home to my house to give single parents a break or as an opportunity to be around a father figure, uh, taking meals to families. Having my church rally to gather supplies and just regular everyday necessities for families and students to be able to access, I was doing all of that. felt really great that the work that I was pushing for was going to help make an impact. And I started getting really sick and going to the doctors, it was really discouraging for quite some time. Nobody could give me answers. A lot of medical professionals thought things were in my head. So I kind of started thinking that I was nuts and just maybe kind of creating illness out of nowhere. But I would be sick for weeks at a time. And eventually, everything kind of fell in place and the right test got taken by the right doctor. And it was discovered that I had lupus. At first, I kind of celebrated. I was like, Phew, I'm not nuts and we can just move forward. I had never heard of lupus until they told me that that's what I had. I had no idea what it involved, and I had no idea that, you know, it was chronic. I just kind of knew, like, let's get this taken care of so I can get back to my classroom on a consistent basis. And from there, I obviously learned quickly that it's not something that to be taken quite as lightly as what I did initially. And I continued to struggle. And through more testing, it was just kind of one diagnosis of chronic illness after another. So the next thing that I was diagnosed with was gastroparesis, which is a stomach disorder, paralysis of the stomach. I have Hajimoto's, which is a thyroid disease and fibromyalgia, along with lots of other stuff that kind of comes with having all of that going on. And that basically, It was kind of that chronic illness hurricane that took me out of the classroom. Doctors finally said, we just don't think that it's a really grand idea for your body to continue going on. And I also knew in my heart that it wasn't the best thing for my students. Kids need consistency. And so for me to be going into school for a couple of weeks to only be out for a couple or more weeks. It just wasn't really great. And so I had to make the decision to walk away from teaching. And yeah, so that's kind of how my path
0: changed. That is heartbreaking (laughs) on so many levels. It's not only heartbreaking for you and not being able to be with those kids, but those kids losing such a great teacher. And that is just a whole whirlwind of awful things, Scarlett.
1: (laughs) Uh yeah. I still tear up about it because it was so much of my heart. And I just felt very strongly in my being that I was in the place that I was meant to be. So, yeah, it was hard to walk away. Really,
0: really hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Super hard. So, obviously, I believe that one door closed for another one to open to your wonderful farm. So tell us how Loveland Acres started.
1: Yeah, crazily enough, I probably, if I were to be fully, fully honest, it came to be out of depression, (laughs) probably at like the lowest of lows, desperation, and in praying and just wishing that life would quit being so miserable. I got the heart nudge to get goats. (laughs) Like who does that, right? But I do. So I got the heart nudge to get goats and I started kind of doing a little bit of research. We had chickens here already. And so I thought maybe that would be kind of, you know, a good distraction. It would be something for our kids to invest in and help take care of. And so I did the research and through my research, I found, you know, the benefits of actually drinking the milk. So, you know, growing up, we raised livestock for the table and to learn that you could milk goats and drink their milk and that it was just really a nutritional powerhouse in a glass. That was very intriguing to me, considering I have a stomach disorder, a disease that doesn't allow me to really eat properly anymore. So in talking with my husband, you know, I asked if we could get goats, told him, you know, some reasons why. And of course he was all for it. And so next thing I knew we were driving all over between Wisconsin and Illinois and getting a little starter goat herd together.
0: <laughs> that. Is so good. And what a good husband you have for being so supportive of getting goats. <laughs> oh, I have an amazing husband. <laughs> it's not like you asked to get a cat or a dog, right?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I have an amazing
0: husband. Oh, that's great. Well, I can somewhat relate to the goats and depression thing because for me personally, I was going through a transition of becoming a farmer and coming on to the farm. And I was looking for something that could be my own here on the farm. And for whatever reason, I was drawn to goats. So maybe that's an actual thing that people can do a study on of depression and goats and how to cure depression.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, they bring a lot of joy. They
0: absolutely do. agriculture industry is like no other. Farmers and ranchers are truly the eternal optimists. We work against the clock and the elements on a daily basis. We stand alone in our fields and come together in need. The rally campaign was built for this purpose, to stand together and to support one another. We are the faces of agriculture, no matter the size of your operation. We stand united whether we're conventional or organic, grass or grain finished, big egg or small farm. We rise, we rally, we're in this together. The Rally Campaign is a fundraising effort to provide funds for agricultural organizations. You can purchase your rally gear through Shop Wildrose Farmer with funds currently being raised to support Bridge to Loveland, a fundraiser of Scarlet Salamone of Loveland Acres. Loveland Acres is a working farm with hands-on agricultural programming for kids from the city to connect with kids in the country. The reality is not all children are presented with the same opportunities nor treated equally within opportunities. Loveland Acres is here to change that. While empowering each and every child that steps onto this land through multifaceted agricultural programming based around them, their abilities, their interests, and their needs, and the stories that they bring with them. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com slash rally to learn more about the rally campaign and to purchase your rally gear to support Loveland Acres. So the goats were the start and the headway. The chickens and the goats tell us more about the other animals that you have on Loveland Acres?
1: So, we have our chickens, we have ducks in the mix as well. Our goats, we have primarily registered Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, but we also have a couple crossbreeds to help with milk volume and things like that. Uh, we also have Shetland sheep and we also have Frisian sheep. So, both of those breeds of sheep can be milked. So we milk our sheep as well. Every animal on the property is a dairy girl in some way, shape, or form. And then we also have our Jersey girl. So we have Jersey cows. We have a Jersey bull that wasn't really supposed to be here, but after some AI issues, we decided we would try it and do a little bit of live coverage. So we'll see how that goes. We raise up Jersey calves and dairy mixed calves off of surpluses of milk. And I think that covers everybody.
0: Well, that's a lot of animals to have on a farm, in my opinion, (laughs) It is. (laughs) as a grain farmer. (laughs) (laughs) I just find it so great that looking back through your story, that as a young girl who wanted so badly to be a dairy farmer, but through all of the setbacks and the barriers that held you back, you can look back now and say
1: that you are a dairy farmer. So I think that's awesome, Scarlet. I am like in awe <laughs> every day and so thankful. And There's not a morning that I don't walk out the house and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like, wow.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. So if you're comfortable to share, can you tell us a little bit about your health now and how the
1: farm has
0: tied into your wellness journey?
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm probably doing the best that I have in the last, geez, it's been a long time now since I was first diagnosed. So maybe 15 years that I've been diagnosed and possibly sick before that. I'm probably in the best health state that I have been throughout this whole journey. So that's not to say that You know, I don't have my flare-up stretches or that I'm cured in any way. I can just function around here on a day-to-day basis and get things done more so than I have been in a long time. So raw milk is my primary nutrition. That's why we have so many dairy girls. Gastroparesis is like living with the flu on a daily basis. So there's not a day of my life that I'm not nauseous to some degree. There's not a day in my life that I don't have to have kind of the thought or the wonder in the back of my head if I'm going to get sick from something that I eat. So the way the disease works is that your vagus nerve, which is what activates the process of digestion and helps your stomach get, you know, your food through, it's not working properly. And so your food sits in your stomach for extended periods of time and that just makes you horribly sick. So there are stretches of time that I have to be on a liquid diet and the best thing that I have found for myself because all chronic illnesses are very, very individual is raw milk and that's what I can count on. And so that's why we're crazy for the dairy because I can easily go through a gallon of milk in a day myself if I am not putting anything else in my system. So I really rely on the nutritional values from my girl's milk. We also make kaffir and our yogurt, cheese, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm able to tolerate those products much more so than if I were to be getting them from this store. Kind of the same thing. Figured out that connection and I knew that I could eat our eggs with ease. It just kind of grew from there. It made sense to start putting our own meat in the freezer. And my stomach does not necessarily tolerate fruits and veggies. So we're not real heavily focused on that just yet. But with looking towards bringing others and feeding others, we'll be going that route. But yeah, it just became really important to me to know every aspect of how my food was raised, what was going into it, To be the one that kind of controlled how it was even packaged. So I butcher the meats for our family. I make our dairy products as much as possible. So just kind of taking control of my food. We have a lot of medicinal plants and we grow a lot of herbs on our property. So I forage for those things and kind of make like a lot of tinctures or infused vinegars and things like that. So Um, Just kind of trying to learn as much as I can to access the most out of what I have at my fingertips. And of course, just having the daily routines as well to get up and take care of dairy animals. You know, that's not going away. And that's helpful to have something that forces you to get out of the house and that I can kind of put on my body's own schedule. So yeah, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Well, we are so happy
0: to hear that. And I just, I'm in awe of you and how you've taken your own personal health struggles and turned it into a journey and how your farm and farming has helped you so much through that. Thank you. So you obviously have the heart of a teacher. So tell us how you've turned your farm, Loveland Acres, into a teaching and learning opportunity for youth in your community and what types of programs that you offer through your farm.
1: Yeah, well, as I was watching our own kids grow up and kind of learn things that they didn't really realize that they were learning and watching the humans that they were becoming as they were helping care for the animals and seeing how they each kind of gravitated to a different animal for different reasons. And, you know, that connection to my students, I actually have to this day connected to a lot of my students that were, you know, kindergartners and they're, you know, in their twenties and the same age as my, my daughter now. So that connection was never lost and I couldn't help but think of all of the kids that would just benefit from being able to get out of the city, be able to run around in fields with no worries, experience animals and livestock on a different level than what, say, zoo petting area of the farm animals kind of offers, seeing them in their element. And being able to ask questions of a farmer and get some answers of things that they're wondering, so that's kind of the way it started. I've always had kind of like a list of some days. I don't have a bucket list. I have, you know, my list of some days. And you know, just as a cow was on my list of some days, and wow, that happened. Having kids come out here for outdoor kind of hands-on. Nature, farm, agriculture related education was on a list of my Sundays. And with the world kind of going nuts <laughs> at the moment with so many things going on, I just think that kids get overlooked in these kind of situations. I think that big people get wrapped up in all of our big people issues and kids are listening, watching, and trying to navigate it. And they need a spot for peace where they can just kind of be a kid learn some things along the way of how to take care of themselves and their communities and their families and just be loved on and not have to worry about that kind of conversation because that kind of conversation isn't allowed <laughs> at Ones. We just kind of keep it farm related and you know health and wellness related and love related. And so that's kind of how we got to the point that we are it started off with chickens and littles. And we had been doing a hatch yearly with a special education teacher from Illinois for a number of years now. And this year, we were really looking forward to her hatching out, you know, like a rainbow dozen of eggs and giving her kids that experience. Because in the past, they had primarily hatched out leghorns, which I love mighty, mighty leghorns. They are so awesome for their daily consistency of laying, (laughs) but they're just not quite as fun as seeing little chicks that all come out looking different and from different egg colors. And so we were going to give her children that experience this year. And we were both kind of bumming with the pandemic. She wound up at home virtually teaching and we just kind of thought our hatch would be off. And I got a message from her and she said, why don't I just do it at home? I was like, fabulous and the light bulb went off. Like, why are we not, you know, letting other kids do this? Everybody's stuck at home. What a fabulous way for us to build up our flock because we were having struggles, meeting demands for eggs anyways. And so Chickens and Littles kind of developed and took off like a wildfire. And it's a program where we send home incubators with anybody that would love to hatch out some chicks and we give them some instruction and some specific days to kind of check in for things and away they go they go through the whole hatch experience and at the end they bring their little chicks back to the farm and they are welcome to come back as frequently as they would like to watch their chicks grow up to help take care of them to you know take home some eggs from the flock And just kind of be invested and know that they are taking part of the food cycle.
0: That is so cool. That is so cool, Scarlett. And what an innovative way to get kids involved in farming.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's super fun. We have a waiting list. So that's awesome. So yeah, we have a lot of chickens and we're really looking forward to being able to get a lot of eggs to people who need them, hands and bellies next year. Very cool.
0: And I like how you're able to relate to these kids in some way. And like you said, our world is absolutely crazy right now with the pandemic that is happening worldwide and the ongoing racial injustices that have been happening for far too long being brought to the spotlight with the Black Lives Matter protests and the movement that has been happening. All of these things and having your farm as a safe place for any child. To kind of get away from everything and embrace nature is, I think, a beautiful thing. So thank you for doing that for these kids. Uh, Thank you. I don't know. I
1: think I get probably a whole heck of a lot more (laughs) out of it. That's the way I feel after I spend time with whoever shows up here. It's really amazing and so fulfilling to see. So yeah, thank you. But I certainly get just as much out of it. It fills my heart.
0: For sure. So tell us what your goals are, your future what-ifs, and what's going to happen on your farm, and tell us how myself and the listeners can get involved in helping you reach those goals.
1: Uh, yes, we have so many goals. And they're, like I said, this has been a someday in my head, and so I've had all sorts of different programs focused around you know each and every animal that we have here because, again, everybody kind of has a niche or something that they're more drawn to or more comfortable with or or want to learn more about. And so we kind of want to give kids and young people that opportunity to hone in what their passion is or what they really want to learn more about. Wow, the people showing up and the kids and the families and it's a lot, a lot of interest. And so we're just looking to get things in place. I am medically disabled, uh, so I'm unable to work off the farm to help supplement, you know, income and things like that to get infrastructure, tractor to, that's the just right size to move manure and to clear fields and pathways, lots of stinging metal, thistle, all those kind of great things that make it a little undesirable to have small children here. So we just really need to get in a place where we're set up and safe to welcome children. Not to mention, I am pretty, pretty adamant that this needs to be accessible to kids in wheelchairs. I watched for far too many years my sister not be able to participate in things. So these are all the things that we're pushing for, so that we can unleash dairy programs, wool programs, foraging programs, canning and preserving programs, meat, you know, uh, butchering programs. All these different things that can be incorporated to help kids and families take care of themselves. So how people can help us get there? We have a GoFundMe going right now so we definitely could use donations but we're not necessarily you know just hard pressed on monetary donations, donations of materials to build chicken tractors or to build shelters to get stanchions built so that kids can milk safely. All of these kind of things are swirling around in my head as I have message after message and I'm turning kids away but safety has got to be first. So people can also be looking out for a lot of products coming your way. So traditionally in the past, I would start making our soap and our milk lotion and all of that kind of stuff kind of gears up a lot in fall. And this year we'll be looking to push really hard and increase our numbers. So we'll have balms and salves and herbal products, milk soaps, milk lotions, all of that good stuff coming at you. Hopefully a few t-shirts here and there. So supporting our products, sharing our story, that seems to really help and kind of maybe pointing us out to some bigger companies that are looking to make a difference and to encourage some future farmers, because that's what we're hoping to see happen. We know that every child that comes here is not going to take an agricultural path or even be interested in coming back here more than once. But for those sprinkling of ones that do. And I think it's really important that we're hooking them in and kind of helping push that forward. So yeah, anything and everything helps.
0: Very good. And those are all great things. And I will be sure to link everything that you just said in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you with your GoFundMe and with your website for your future products come out because what great holiday gifts would those be, right? So, Absolutely. And I like what you said about the kids that are not necessarily going to take an agricultural path. But I think the things that you're teaching them and showing them are essential life skills for them to provide for themselves and for their families and for their communities. So I think those are very good things to be teaching our up and coming farmers and the next generation of kids. Yeah, we think so too. Yeah. So I want to mention I've been chatting with Scarlett for a while now about this, but the listeners don't know this yet. But Scarlet and Loveland Acres will be the next recipients of the Rally Campaign. The Rally Campaign was created by myself for agriculture to support agriculture and come together and rally around one another. And what a better organization and farm and person to rally around than Scarlet and Loveland Acres. So the proceeds from now until the end of 2020 will be donated to you, Scarlet and Loveland Acres, and making your farm accessible to everyone, all children, no matter what. So awesome. And I am so honored to be in community with you and to be able to help you in this way. So thank you for allowing the rally campaign to help support your farm and your causes.
1: Uh, well, thank you. This is very, very awesome. Very awesome. Thank you. Yes. And fun fact,
0: I will be releasing a crew neck sweater um, in the next few days for the rally campaign because. Although the t-shirt and the tank top are wonderful, it's probably gonna get a little cold sooner rather than later. I know it has been here anyways.
1: <laughs> yes, same. I have a sweatshirt on at the moment. <laughs> <All right. laughs>
0: oh, Scarlett, it has been so wonderful chatting with you this morning and I just know that the listeners, their hearts are just as full as mine from hearing your story. So Scarlett, my last question for you is, what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you?
1: I think hearing and seeing, so hearing the squeals and seeing people's faces the first time they see a goat kid or the first time they get a cow kiss. (laughs) There are so many other things. I love making my own food. I love gathering things. I love feeding folks. Yeah, so that would probably be right up there, feeding other people and just making sure everybody's taken care of. But really to see the joy, the stress, and um, just all the cares of the world melt away when a goat kid comes running up to you and jumps on your back and you're not expecting it, that is pretty darn awesome. And I just want as many people to feel that great for just a moment as I can. Awesome.
0: Those are all great things, especially the goat kids I'm In favor of all of that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Scarlett, for the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online?
1: Online, they can find me on Instagram at Loveland Acres Farm, on Facebook at Loveland Acres Farm. And we do have a website that is www.lovelandacresfarm.org.
0: Awesome. And I will link all of those in the show notes and encourage the listeners to connect with you because you are just lovely. So thank you so much, Scarlett.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. This was really, really a fun time chatting with you. Thank you.
0: Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Scarlett. Isn't she amazing? I told you guys before it started. I know. But isn't it true? Scarlett has done so many wonderful things for her community, and I cannot wait to see what she's able to do when her some days become reality very soon. And I hope you, the listener, are able to support Scarlett in her endeavors over on Loveland Acres, whether that is through her GoFundMe or contact her. She has so many different ways that you're able to support her. It's it's amazing. It's insane. She comes up with the greatest ideas. And also, spoiler alert, my big announcement (laughs) that was to come at the end of today's episode, we already talked about it. I am so excited for Scarlet and Loveland Acres to be the recipients of the Rally Campaign from now until December 2020. I know these funds are going to be well used and well loved over on Loveland Acres, so I'm very excited for that. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about the Rally Campaign, plus purchase your t-shirt tank top. And like we said, I am releasing a crew neck sweater. So that's up there now. So you can grab one of those as well. And funds raised will be donated to Loveland Acres. Now, one last thing I wanted to leave you with before I sign off for the week is I want to give you an overview of what September is going to look like for the Rural Woman podcast. Now, if you've been listening to the Royal Woman podcast for a long time now, you know one thing that I am very passionate about is mental health awareness. I think it is so important that mental health and mental health awareness is part of our conversation to normalize the stigma around mental health, and especially in agriculture, as I know it is a big hot-button topic. Now, for some of you, you may know, but some of you may not know that September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And I wanted to highlight this on the Roll Woman podcast because I know there are many of you that have been affected not only by suicide, but mental health and mental wellness in general. So I wanted to put that out there for anyone who may be uncomfortable listening and hearing these stories, I get it. It's it's an uncomfortable and hard topic. And if you have to skip these ones, I completely understand. Or if you need to listen to these with somebody that you love and they're to support you, that's okay too. And I want to let you know that it's okay that these topics and conversations are hard. I have to say they were hard for me To record, and they were hard for my guests to talk about as well. But I want you to know that we can do hard things, and I'm here for you and I'm rooting for you. And there are so many other people out there that are doing the same. So, just a heads up that this is what we are talking about in September. I will be giving disclaimers at the beginning of each episode, just in case anybody is missing this outro on this episode to let people know what we're going to talk about. So if it's something that you're uncomfortable listening to, again, completely understand. So my friends, I'm signing off for this week and I am looking forward to sharing the stories of strong, incredible women next month and every month here on the Rural Woman Podcast. So I hope that you have a great week and I will be back here behind the microphone next week for another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at WildRoseFarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.